Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Well, if you've grown up feeling like you couldn't quite tell the truth about your life or faith or challenging experiences, I am super excited to introduce you to Ashley Abercrombie. She's the author of Rise of the Truth Teller, Own Your Story, Tell It Like It Is, and Live with Holy Gumption. Now, Ashley fought to overcome addiction, rape, abortion, perfectionism, and dysfunctional relationships to become an honest, whole, and free woman. On most days, she says. She wore a mask more than half of her life and considers herself too old and too annoyed to ever put that thing on Again, now her book, Rise of the Truth Teller, is from a Christian perspective, but I will say that it is very accessible to people of all faiths or no faith at all. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Ashley Abercrombie. Well, Ashley, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. So one of the things that you are passionate about talking about, especially in your book, is owning your story. So I wanted to start off just by first asking you, what happens when we don't own our story? Mm, What a great question. Well, I think if you don't own your story, I think that so many things happen. There's a lot of repercussions to that, which are we don't live honestly. We don't walk in integrity. And I think it can be difficult to reconcile hard things from our past, whether it's trauma that we've gone through or difficult experiences or even things like disappointment. It can begin to feel very, very hard to reconcile those things when we're not honest about our life and honest about our past and honest about our habits and our patterns. Um, But owning your story enables you to get honest. And I think honesty is the key to living a life that you love. Mm -hmm. I guess I probably first should have asked you, what does it mean to own your story? Because that is a, I don't want to assume that people know what that means. I mean, obviously I want them to buy your book so they can, you know, get the whole (laughs) gist of what it means to own. But in a, in a short, short uh, version, you know, what would you say that actually means to own your story? Well, I think owning your story is really beginning to understand the context of your life. Where do you come from? What has shaped you? Why do you think the way that you think? Why do you build the relationships that you have in your life? Why are you pursuing the things that you're pursuing? And so owning your story is really beginning to understand, this is who I am. This is what I've gone through. This is what I've overcome. This is what I'm gifted to do. These are my talents. These are my relationships. These are my people. And when you really begin to own that, you can thrive in your life in a really remarkable way that I think is enabling us to actually walk out our purpose and live the life we were created to live. Yeah. So when I think about owning your story, I, I, I mean, that should be for everyone. But yet, if I grew up with a white picket fence and my two parents are still together and everything's good and I've never had trauma in my life and I haven't had any challenges owning <laughs> my story, I mean, yeah, you should. everybody should own their story, right? Yeah. And, and I, I think... Yeah. It's an interesting way to think about your life. If you're like, I've never really gone through anything. I mean, I think we might want to revisit that thought. (laughs) (laughs) I I always just say, well, just wait. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) There's a sneaky little thing that humans are good at and it's called denial. And I think that, you know, all of us know what it means to be hurt, whether it's through a relationship or it's through a coach or a teacher or somebody who said something maybe we didn't want them to say. Like we all... We, no one is untouched by pain. And I think that that's a, it's a powerful and okay thing to acknowledge that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And some people haven't, you know, at an early age, maybe there is less, you know, we, obviously we all have gone through challenges, but maybe yes. there's less pain for whatever reason. Sure. But I doubt that any human being is going to escape this planet without experiencing some sort of tremendous challenge or pain. Totally. And I think even if you don't create it, you know, maybe you have come from a really beautiful family upbringing where you didn't have to go through a lot of trauma and there were no addictions in your family or no real volatile situations. Like overall, maybe your life was really great. And at the same time, none of us are untouched. You know, you could have a friend who's diagnosis. You could have a child who's going through something difficult, a parent who's walking through a season of hardship. And so I think none of us are untouched, you know, and we all feel whether it's primary or secondary, we all feel the brunt of difficulty in our life. You could have a hurricane knock down your house any moment. <laughs> Correct. You could. <laughs> that's very true. And I hope probably, that doesn't happen to you. But yes, yeah. that's true. <laughs> probably, probably not your house. You live in New York. That would be a really bad hurricane if it knocked down your house. It really would be. I think we'd be in big trouble if that starts happening on the earth in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for you personally, um, what did it look like? As you began to grow and develop as a human being, what did it look like for you personally to own your story? So I was raised in this beautiful hometown of Eden, North Carolina, which is the southeast of the United States, if you don't live here. And it was great. I mean, I had wonderful friends. I I went to a great school. I mean, I just, I had a wonderful upbringing in a lot of ways. And I somehow managed from the the beginning of my life to divorce myself from hard stuff. You know, I just thought you had to put on a mask and get through it. And I just would, you know, I like to say I had a PhD in in pretending. (laughs) I just knew Mm. how to put the mask on and, and wear it. And like, everything's great and everything's cool. And then there's only so long that you can sort of bottle that stuff up before it starts to come out. And I can remember graduating high school at 18 years old and thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be perfect. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to perform. And so for me, that looked like running the exact opposite way of what I was doing. And I began to drink and um, use drugs and developed an eating disorder bulimia. And through that process, that was the way that I could get my pain out without actually having to honestly own it. Because I think when we don't honestly own our life and we're not walking in integrity, then it finds a way to leak out, you know? And so for me, it looked like addiction. And for me, it looked like having relationships with others that were not reciprocal. So even though I had some very loving people in my life and in my family, Mm -hmm. I had a very difficult time using reciprocity. So I would be the person people could come to, to unload their pain or to ask for advice or to come to for care. But I didn't know how to honestly say, I'm also struggling and I don't know how to get through this hard thing. And this looks like a mountain in front of me that I cannot hurdle. And so I just couldn't do that yet. And that increased addiction in my life. And then I I was a sophomore in college when I was sexually assaulted and raped by a guy on campus that I knew. Um, I didn't know him well, but I did know him. And so just went through some very difficult times in that season Mm -hmm. of my life. You know, those couple of years that I spent in college were very, very hard. And the good thing that came out of it is I just couldn't hold it together anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I had just become expert at being the glue of the universe until Mm -hmm. I realized I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and until I realized there was actually no um, expectation on me to be the glue of the universe. Mm-hmm. And when it started unraveling, actually, it, it was the beginning of freedom for me where I really realized, you know what, I've got to get honest about this stuff. There's some things that I'm hurt about. There's some things that I'm wounded about. And there's some things I need recovery in. And as I began to do that, 
And I found relationships where I felt safe to be honest. And I found people who were also honest with me. I realized that, wow, we're all broken people and we're all walking through something or out of something or into something. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. because of that, I was able to begin honestly opening up about my life and not feeling shameful about it. Because I think sometimes that's why we don't is we feel ashamed or we feel like somebody's going to reject us or people aren't going to think the same way about us. And we are just in the image management business. And Mm -hmm. for me, I really want to be a person of integrity. I didn't want to manage my image anymore. And I didn't want to manage what people thought about me anymore. I wanted to live in such a way that I could be free. And so for me, that became a uh, highest point of order. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes it seems like if we are um, involved in image management, we may be surrounding ourselves with others that are involved in that same, you know, uh, value. And so how yeah. did you, how did you find people that you could be honest with and you could begin to explore and own your story with? How did, how did you find those people? Yes. I mean, I, I will say I did have some people in my life who were image managers, but I can also remember being um, a young young adult and realizing, wow, my friends really do actually open up to me and I'm the common denominator here. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who always doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it actually made me a really bad friend because they always thought I was perfect and had no issues and no problems. And they were honest about their lives, but I was incapable. And so I think it just put a handicap on our relationship that was unnecessary. And so um, I think it when we're in image management, we also don't recognize safe people as well because we don't, we're not safe and we don't think anybody else is safe. But for me, I remember moving across the country actually to Los Angeles when I was 21 years old. And I was really hoping to leave it all behind me, you know, until I got there and realized everywhere you go, there you are. Like, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you can't escape yourself, which was very sad news for me. <laughs> yeah. And I began to make some really good friends, you know, people that I thought, man, they, they were able to suspend judgment. And even though I partied like crazy, I drank all the time, um, I was always out doing something. They were available to me. They would invite me out for coffee. They'd take me to dinners with them, just include me in their life. And because of that, I started to realize, wow, I really don't have my stuff together, but they don't have this expectation that I should. Mm -hmm. And through that, I began to have um, honest relationships and honest friendships and open up about some of the needs that were in my life. And through a long process of healing, a long process of recovery, um, you know, that, that really did change the trajectory of my life and it allowed me to open up in a new and fresh way. And one specific memory that comes to mind is a dear friend of mine and I was not being honest with her and she called and just said, Hey, how are you doing? I think she just had an inkling in her heart that nothing, that something was really wrong with me. Sure. Sure. And on that phone call, I just did what I always did, which was, I'm fine. I'm doing great. And then I began to assault her with like 9,000 questions about her so that that the focus would not be on me. Mm-hmm. And when we hung up that phone call, I remember 10 minutes later getting a knock at my door and she was standing there and she just <laughs> pushed past all my bull crap, you know, and just pushed past the walls that I had in a really healthy way. And I fell down on the floor. I remember just sobbing and she sat mm-hmm. down next to me and she didn't try to fix me and she didn't try to change me and she didn't offer her best advice tips or seven books I should read so I could heal. But she just sat with me. And through that process, I began to really open up to her about the the last couple of years of my life. And I just shared everything. You know, I talked Mm. about my struggles with addiction. I talked about the rape. I talked about so many things and through that realized, wow, like she didn't run. She's not rejecting me. She's sitting Mm. here with me and the, the powerful presence that she had to just be with me in my suffering is what actually allowed me to begin to open up and create safe space for myself and safe space for others who also needed to unburden themselves. Mm hmm. 
yeah, I've got a couple of friends like that too, where I'll start asking them a bunch of questions and they're like, no, 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 no. I ask <laughs> about you. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, but you're more They keep you honest, right you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love those honest friends. <laughs> and that, that process of letting it out, obviously that's not a one-time conversation that you had with her and then yeah. boom, your life is feeling good. There's you talk about in chapter three of your book, you know, about the truth of process and that mm-hmm. it's, it's an ongoing journey. Mm-hmm. How did you find ongoing support and encouragement for your process? You know what? I think the hardest thing to do is just to keep showing up in your own life. And the, I write a lot about truth telling and process because I think the hardest thing about truth telling is to tell it every day. Like we never escape. Like, I don't just say, Hey, these are the things that happened to me between the ages of 18 to 21. And that's all I ever talk about. You know, Mm -hmm. truth telling is a process and recovery is a process. And so we have to commit to showing up every day and being honest about our life every day. And so I'm never not tempted to manage my image. You know, Mm -hmm. like I will always probably until the day I die, deal with pride. Always. It's just a central issue in my life. And I actually think in the lives of most people, and it's hard to recognize because it's sneaky and subtle and we can be doing really awesome things on the earth and not realize that we're like struggling with pride. And so for me, it's waking up every day and showing up for my own life and making sure I'm being honest in my relationships. And when I'm not allowing people to say so, or allowing myself to recognize that, not me in denial about that and just say, Hey, I need to really get honest in this relationship, or there's some things I'm withholding, or there's some stress I'm not dealing with and it's coming out in this way or that way. And so I think self-awareness is really key to this, but showing up in my life every day with a commitment to be honest is, is what I do like, so that I can continue to be in process with healing and with truth telling. Mm -hmm. When you use the word pride and you say that's a challenge for you, what does that, Mm -hmm. what does that mean for you? Well, I think the very central issue of image management, which is a real struggle on the earth, especially given the rise of the digital age, you know, I think, are you kidding me? What? Come on. Yeah. You're just like, come on. You don't, you did not wake up like this. Like that is, there is a team around you doing these things and it's setting the tone for the rest of the planet, you know? (laughs) Um, And I think that, you know, at the, at the root of image management is pride because what we're really saying is I can't be fully myself. And if I am fully myself, then this is what it's going to mean for me and my relationships. And you know what that is? That's pride because we are keeping distance from others when what we need to do is draw close. And what we need to do is be be in deep abiding relationship with people. And so pride hinders that. And when you're in the, um, when you're worried about your image, you're not worried about your integrity. And when you're worried about what people will think about you, you're not worried about connecting with people. And so mm-hmm. connection and integrity is okay and the best and higher thing. So mm-hmm. pride, we need to continue to root out of ourselves. How do you determine a friend who's able to go there with you versus people that perhaps were more like you at, you know, in the teenage years of not able to reciprocate? Like, you you know what I mean? Or maybe they make fun or gloss over or, you know, don't understand what you're going through. Like, how do you, how do you figure that out? How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's a great question because we're really talking about Safe People, which is a wonderful book that I would highly recommend um, by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And that book was a game changer for me. I really loved it. And it taught me how I was unsafe and then taught me how to recognize safety in others. But to to bottom line it, I think we recognize people, safe people, they are able to suspend judgment. Mm -hmm. They are able to be with you without trying to fix you, change you, or advise you. Mm -hmm. They are able to see your potential and call that forward. 
So instead of putting you down or making you feel less than, they're constantly encouraging you and speaking hard truths because that's still encouragement, Mm -hmm. but they're able to do it in such a way that it doesn't shame you. And so they see your potential and they want you to become your best self. They have that in mind. They have a heart to see you do that. And those are safe people. And so I think we recognize them in our day-to-day life. And we can also recognize people who are on a journey, right? Because when even when I started healing, it wasn't like I was just awesome at reciprocity, but there were some people in my life, like my friend that I mentioned earlier, who was able to journey with me through that period of time in my life. So mm-hmm. I still kind of was a stonewaller, but at the same time, she knew I was on a journey and she knew I was going to get there. And so she stuck by me and called me out and drew the best out of me. And she allowed me to do the same with her. And so I think that's really important um, is to see those people in our life. And sometimes they're the folks who just keep turning up, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. you're dropping your kids off at drop off and you recognize the mom who always talks to you. And she seems really genuine and down to earth. Like she might be a person to have a coffee with and just see where it goes. You know, (laughs) I wish this lady would would quit talking to me. Why does she (laughs) always ask me how my day is? Just get away from me. Yeah. I'm sure some people do do that. (laughs) A lot of New Yorkers do that. So we could relate to you for sure. If that's that's how you are, but you have to deal with yourself too. Then, you know, if you're always in a hurry, how can you ever build real relationship? You know, so it's important to slow down and recognize and be aware in your own life. (laughs) I also think that if somebody's not in a safe place in their life, they are being triggered by whatever I'm saying. So in some way, either if I'm talking about my challenges, they don't, you know, they're, they're having anxiety in that moment about, about not knowing what to say, or they don't want to talk about their own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so somehow they're being triggered by whatever it is that I'm saying. And it's, it's not about me. It's about whatever they're going through, you know, yes. in their own life. So, yeah, that's so true. And so you have to determine in that moment is, am I going to be the type of person who responds and connects with them through this? Or is Mm -hmm. this an unsafe moment for me? And do I need to make a change? You know, because sometimes we just, that's part of drawing people out. It's like, I love you and I don't want you to stay here. So how can I keep drawing you out? Or it's Mm -hmm. like, this is actually an unsafe situation for me Mm -hmm. and maybe not the best time to build a deeper relationship. So you get to determine that. (laughs) Very, very true. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love in section two of your book, you say that you are learning to tell it like it is. And of course, that's the whole you know title of the book is being a truth teller. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say tell it like it is, um, I know that faith is a part of your background. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I thought Christians were supposed to be nice. And it sounds like you're being mean <laughs> to me, telling me like it is. So uh, you know, what, do you, what do you mean, tell it like it is? What does that mean to you? Yes. Okay. So telling it like it is. um, Yeah. And the whole nice girls myth. I mean, it's not just Christian women who deal with this. There's a very real gender component in our world today that tells women that anger has no place and that we can't be upset or we can't be loud. I mean, you think about what it's like to be a woman in the workplace. We have the the resting bee face jokes and, oh, maybe she's on her period. And, you know, it's like when women are aggressive or um, very outspoken, it's Mm -hmm. received differently than when men are. And so it's important to recognize those kind of cultural dynamics that influence all women. Um, And what I mean by telling it like it is, is I mean to tell it kindly and candidly. And so what that means is telling it like it is rudely is unacceptable. You're just not being a good human. Don't do that. You know, Um, (laughs) you have to tell the truth candidly 
and kindly because that's the way people can receive it. That's the way I can receive it. I can take a hard truth when it's cloaked in kindness. I can take a hard truth when there's love behind it. Like we can Mm -hmm. handle hard truths when people speak them with mutual respect and honor. That's an important part of this. And so telling it like it is, is not being rude or unkind. Like I grew up in the South, like I said earlier, and you know, truth telling is a very high value for us. But at the same time, most of the time, what we mean when we're talking about truth telling is telling the truth about others. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have had to grow in telling the truth about ourselves and telling it like it is kindly and candidly, not to hurt and wound others or just to say it because it, it should be said, but to say something that's effective and something that's transformative because it's just true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and resonates deeply with people. So in this section, you go through a number of things that are um, important to you. I would say Um, the chapters are the truth about uh, ordinary, truth about margin, truth about Christians, truth about Mm -hmm. aggression. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I was reading this, it's like, wow, these are things that are really important to Ashley. Mm -hmm. Um, You could have written about a lot of things that were <laughs> the truth, right? The truth for you in different ways. Sure. Why did you choose these four areas? Why were these important to you? Yes. Well, I think that they're important because there's so many things in our digital world today. And not that this hasn't always existed, right? Like I'm bringing up digital media because it is the world we live in and it's not going away. <laughs> mm. It's here to stay. And so I wanted people to understand that they're not ordinary and that actually it's okay for ordinary life to be the sacred stuff of life. And so I think sometimes we're always looking for the next best thing. We're always looking to be like, oh, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be extraordinary. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to change the world. And sure, is some of that okay? Yes. But then also it's like, hey, if you're picking up your kids at drop-off or you're a student in college and nobody really knows your name or you are becoming an empty nester or maybe you're thinking about what retirement looks like, like there is so much goodness in your ordinary and there is so much opportunity in ordinary life to make a difference for others. I love this quote in that section. It says, we are neither helpless nor hopeless. We are the healers, the truth tellers, the helpers and the bridge builders. And so I think it's important to recognize recognize that even in your day-to-day life with your neighbors, with your family, with the people that love you the most, with the faith community, if you have it, or your CrossFit community, if you have that, I don't know what your communities are, but you have an opportunity to show up and be, make a difference and matter to people. Mm-hmm. And then this whole idea of margin is can really I, important. Can I jump in for just a of second? Of course, yes. Because um, one of the things that you write there, and this, um, as I've mentioned in the intro, this is a, a faith-oriented book, that, um, but I think it's super accessible for people you know, yeah. that, that don't don't necessarily have a Christian faith. Um, the principles that you talk about are so powerful, and you're really just interweaving them through the context of your own faith. Yeah. Um, and in this chapter on um, the power of the ordinary, the truth of the ordinary, you talk about um, Jesus, and there's this you know moment where he's having a meal with mm-hmm. um, his followers and so forth. But you write later on, don't discount the small things just because mm-hmm. the world around you acts like they don't matter. They do. And your strength is in them. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is really interesting. Like that's mm-hmm. profound. Like the small things you just mentioned those things, you know, you mentioned a number of things, but I don't want us to gloss over that because yeah. it feels like, um, especially for a lot of the, moms who listen to our podcast, there's a lot of ordinary things. You know, there's the making of the lunches or the, you know, laundry on top of the job, on top of the trying to figure out homework, on top of the college applications, you know, all of these things. 
um, it can feel so mundane. Yes. You know, why do they matter? And how is my strength found in those things? Mm -hmm. Well, again, I think if we're always... First of all, I relate to you, mother out there listening to this. I am. I just finished making lunches and doing all of that for my kid. Like, I'm so with you. I get this. I have a full-time job. It is so hard. And sometimes you can feel like, what is the point of any of this? Is it making a difference at all? So I think maybe I'm preaching to myself a little in this book too. But when I look at the life of someone like Jesus, who gets a whole lot of um, different images projected on him in the world we live in today, and especially here in America in our political climate, you know, this sort of image of who God is, I think it's quite distorted. And Jesus was so ordinary in his practices. He was always eating with people. He was always sitting with disciples. He was always listening. He was always extending his hand to touch people, to be with them. And he never even really went too far outside his own hometown. And so if you were to really examine the life of Jesus, he did not have sort of this global empire perspective of just like, here's how we're going to dominate. And I think sometimes we are fed this message that that's who we're supposed to be in this world. Most and I want his Instagram photos would have been pretty boring, I think. They, I think so. And it would have been a lot of food pics because he was always eating. <laughs> I mean, seriously, he would have been a foodie blogger, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it's important to look at that and go, actually, these things that I'm doing as mundane as they seem matter. And they are building the life of the kingdom. And not only that, they are building integrity in me, that, that I show up in my own life, that I'm present to the people around me, that every day is a new day and an opportunity for me to love and to connect with others and to um, extend myself through grace and generosity and to... Um, be a person who releases when I'm tempted to be a person who withholds and be a person who stays joyful, even though I feel tempted to be bitter in the world I'm living in. And so I think those simple practices, those daily rhythms, the habitual things that we do that are mundane are actually the very things that remind us to connect, the very things that remind us to stay grounded, the very things that we turn up for day after day are the things that really are building our lives, not the extraordinary moments, because there's so few of them, to be honest. There's so few mountaintop moments in life. Mm -hmm. And I think if we recognize that, then we're not living moment to, you know, mountaintop to mountaintop, but moment to moment in integrity and character. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So many ordinary moments Mm -hmm. Uh, as a, as a type A kind of driven person, Mm -hmm. um, those ordinary moments can seem so, uh, I don't want to say wasteful, but like, mm-hmm. I need to be doing something meaningful right now. I need mm-hmm. to be like, taking ground. I need to be doing something that's going to make a difference or like help me um, take ground in whatever project or goal or thing that I'm oriented in. Yeah. And yet in those ordinary moments is often found um, the bedrock of relationship. Yes. Which is, I think, the fundamental best thing in life. (laughs) And when you're constantly achieving and striving and on to the next, you know, you miss the the stuff that really grounds you. And and that is the place where you build the character that keeps you doing the work that you're called to do. And if you skip over that part, there will come a time in all of the achievement that it breaks because we were built for relationship. We were not built for achievement. And through relationship, we achieve. Yes, I am a high achiever. I'm a high capacity person. I am 100% type A but I've just stopped being impressed with myself and stopped being impressed with people who do things and just gone, you know, who's really living their life. Honestly, who has character and integrity. These are the types of people I want to build my life with. And out of that has come so much achievement, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's it's a better way of living and relating. (laughs) Yeah. 
for our listeners, they'll um, know this story, but for the context of our conversation, you know, I, when I was a pastor, I was a total workaholic. I was working mm. 60, 70 hours a week. Yep. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't because I thought I was amazing. It was because I didn't, I didn't think I was amazing. And right. Prove myself. And uh, I wasn't able to be present with my kids when they were young. And my wife and I were feeling, you know, disconnected and more like roommates. And I, you know, ended up hitting rock bottom uh, 12 years ago. And uh, I ended up finding out too, through a brain scan that my anxiety levels were really high, like the way that my brain was wired. And so I was able to get on some uh, low level anti-anxiety medication that would slow down my brain. Allow me to be present because in those mundane moments, my brain was going 100 miles an hour thinking about all the things that I needed to do on my to-do list. Right. And, um, could I have tried to mellow that out without medication? Perhaps. Yeah. Um, but um, it has transformed my life over the right. last 12 years. And when I'm having this conversation with you, I'm thinking of nothing other than just being present. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and that feels so good, you know, because that's, and now I can be present with my kids. I have been for the last, you know, decade and, and, uh, and it is the difference between having real foundational, beautiful, connected relationships in the midst of that mundane. Um, and I would say it, 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 I don't know if like, you know, if it's harder or less than more than or whatever, but um, and it's probably how we're wired because as, as you know, younger kids are more challenging for me to be present yeah, with. Sure. Whereas somebody who can have a conversation or us, you know, watch something or interact with something. And that's true. That's just, everybody's different. Yeah, um, that's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So the, the, one of the chapters that, um, boy, you really just unleashed is, um, <laughs> the truth about aggression. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the statements that you write about, is you say the world is not safe or kind to women. Mm -hmm. um, help me understand that statement. And why was that important for you to tell the truth about? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously, as someone who's uh, gone through a sexual assault and so many other things, and I write a ton in this chapter about aggression because it's important for people to understand the cultural soil that women are planted in. And I think that so often we gloss over that. We don't recognize how serious it is that a woman most of the time can't walk down the street without someone catcalling her. Um, women get comments all day long about their bodies. If they're pregnant, someone makes, makes a comment, puts their hands on a person's body without even thinking about it. I mean, what there's a, up with that. Who touches another person? I mean, and it's primarily a lot of it. women do that, that though. It's, I mean, it's both from, from experience sometimes, really? but yeah, a man touch. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yes, I have. Yes, Good I have. Lord. And so I think it's those things that people don't recognize or the comments that happen in work meetings about women or somebody makes a sexual innuendo about a woman or somebody makes a racist joke about a woman and don't not thinking about the one woman of color who's in the room. And so I think this is like real life for people. I mean, I've experienced so much. I write about the mm -hmm. very traumatic labor story that I have here and the hospital that um, I birthed my second son in in Manhattan and, and what happened there with a, a man who just kept coming into our hospital room. And so I just think that it's important for us to understand that this is the world we live in. 
that women are facing microaggressions. And if you don't know what that is, it's just like one of those little sideways things that happens. Like again, a comment at work, somebody cat calling you down the street. And it's like, it's not full on aggression, but it's enough that it makes you bothered. And maybe you feel heavy under that or exhausted under that and don't fully understand why you feel so fatigued. Or perhaps it's a woman who might be listening now and her partner is very uncommitted to helping with the child raising. And so because of that, not only do you have a job, but you also have all the responsibilities. You take care of the household. You do all the lunches. You do all the school runs and you have no help. But the expectation for you is to perform at your job in the same way that your husband is able to. And so those types of things create a level of aggression on the inside of us. And we put it down because we're taught that women should just be nice girls and mm-hmm. they shouldn't be mean and they shouldn't be mad and they shouldn't speak up for themselves. And they shouldn't say what they need because God forbid they do that. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to speak to the truth about that and what happens. And I also took the opportunity in this chapter to talk about faith leaders who are constantly putting burdens on people. And I see Mm -hmm. that happening publicly in our media where there's burdens on people all the time. They're not interested in relieving people's burdens or releasing them from shame, but they're interested in heaping more work on top of people and heaping more things to do on top of people. And I just do not believe that that's the God that I serve. I think He is looking to release burdens and He's looking to free people up to be holy themselves. And He's looking Mm -hmm. for folks to be released from aggression and for women to find healthy ways to move and be in this world. And it's okay to say that the world is not kind to women and it's not safe for women. You know, one in four women have been sexually assaulted and that's mm. just reported cases. I never reported. Yeah. In fact, I only know one other woman in my life who didn't, re- who did actually report her sexual assault. Women yeah. are sexually abused at rates of one in three and sometimes one in four. And that, that grows globally. Um, that's just the national numbers here in the U S. And so think about that. Like, don't tell me this world is kind to us. Don't tell me this world is safe for us because it isn't. And so it's important to speak to that. And it's important to release women from feeling like they have to hold that in or feeling like they have to act Mm -hmm. like the world is just awesome for them when Mm -hmm. most of the time it isn't. And I wanted people to be able to have safe space to process that for themselves and to grow in freedom from that. Mm -hmm. I think that those, that's not going to always come out of a woman's mouth in a kind way because there's so much aggression or so much pain or trauma. You know, I'm not sure I can expect someone to speak up in a way, you know, that is going to come off kind, like I could hear it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, and I, I think I wanted to release, you know, I talked earlier about being candid and kind, but sometimes, in fact, I would say the vast majority of times women are so worried about being kind because they have to be mm-hmm. in their workplace or with the men or in their right. faith community. And so they can't get to the candid part. So when right. women just are candid, then it's like, oh, you should have said it better. Oh, I'm sorry that the oppressed person should say it better. Are you kidding right. me right now? And right. so I think it's, you know, we all have to grow in this. And I think men specifically um, have to grow in this and and their capacity to hear deeper than the way it's said. You know, if mm. I as a as a white woman, if I was unable to hear anger in my friends who are people of color and dealing with issues like racism or police brutality or whatever it might be, if I'm unable to hear that because of the way they say I want them to clean it up before they tell it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez, then what take the what emotion out saying? of it. Yeah, what are we saying to people that we're really saying, you can't be yourself here. It's okay if I can, but you can't be yourself here. And you can't tell me the truth because I don't want to change. That's what we, that's what it really boils down to mm-hmm. is I don't want personal responsibility for that truth. So don't tell it to me like it is. 
And I think we have to be the kind of people who can go, yeah, tell, tell it like it is because I want to change and I want this world to be good to you. And I want equitable spaces where we're safe. So help me, tell me, talk to me. We can be those people. We really can. Is our skin so thin that we can't do that for one another? No, it isn't. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the ways that's helped me, uh, I don't want to say toughen my skin. I'd, I'd more say probably raise my awareness, give me more empathy, compassion, yeah. is to watch movies that feature stories that are outside the context of my own you know, world. Mm-hmm. Um, so just recently, my wife and I went to see two movies involving um, the death penalty, one called Clemency, which is a bit more of an indie film. It was in theaters mm-hmm. and Just Mercy. Yeah, and, so good. Uh, uh, you, you seen that film? I haven't, but I read the book right when it came out and I've read it several times. It's one of my favorites. Educating yourself is primary. It's like, I I actually have been so baffled by people who are unwilling to do their own work and constantly want others to explain everything to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is a, it's like, why, why in 2020? I mean, I used to have to go to the library and read encyclopedias. Like you can Google, you can figure things out on your own. And it's important that we do that. And I like what you shared. That's why I think stories are powerful and stories, whether they're on film or in a book can help us educate ourselves in a way that we can understand and then have empathy for other people. Cause that's important. And I think stories do that like nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my second film that I made was uh, called In Plain Sight, and it was all about sex trafficking in the United States. And I wanted to learn more. I wanted to see how that was making an impact, you know, in our world. And so in 2014, um, I chose six female abolitionists around the United States, and we went and interviewed them, and we interviewed a a bunch of survivors as well. And um, nobody asked me to do that. Actually, nobody paid me to do that. Right. I chose to do that because I was interested in learning more and drawing attention to people who were making a difference in the world in that area. And so all of a sudden, um, I I don't know of any relative or friend who had been trafficked. And yet now I have such deep empathy and knowledge and awareness of that world, um, even though I've never personally, you know, been through that. Right. um, Because I did the work. Right. I went and yep. did the work and not everybody can make a film, but you can watch a film. You can, yeah, totally. you, can you know, do research on the internet of whatever the issues might be. Yes. So I agree with you. Okay. So, um, the third section of your book, you, oh, just so many powerful, powerful chapters here where you're just Thank talking you. about truth and justice and reconciliation and power and good. And you call it living with holy gumption. Yeah. And, um, what, what is that? That sounds like I grew up in Kentucky. So I, you know, I understand the word <laughs> gumption, yeah. right? but it sounds a little bit like we're getting ready to have some seafood gumbo or something. <laughs> like what is this holy gumption you speak of? So I love the word gumption because it's like, it actually translates into a spirited shrewdness. And I'm one of those people that I didn't have the kind of opportunity afforded me that I wish I would have, not not to the extent that so many others haven't, but I just feel like I didn't get to finish my degree. There's so much that I didn't have access to, but this sort of spirited shrewdness where it's like, this is my life and I'm going to make the most of this and I'm going to live in it and I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to show up and be 
all of myself everywhere that I go. And I'm going to create space for myself and create space for others. And that has just changed my life. And so sometimes when we think about gumption, we think about this idea of like being out there and doing all these big things. And I think gumption really boils back down to the small things. And it really boils back down to you being honest in your day-to-day life and you showing up for your life and being in it. And I think that takes so much gumption. And why I like to say holy gumption is because I think there's this sacred part of us that drives us. Like there's this internal thing in us. It's like, oh, this, when I do this thing, I come alive. And for some people, it could be organizing. For some people, it could be very administrative. For some people, it could be leading a company or making films or writing books or singing songs or being with your children or being in relationship with others. There's a million ways that gumption works itself out, but we all have this ticker inside of us. It's like, I was born for this. And I think that we need to figure out what that is and do it while we're showing up in our life. It takes a lot of gumption to be yourself. It takes guts to show up every day and be there. And sometimes just showing up is our best, right? Like that's okay too. There There are good days and bad days, but gumption is just this idea that no matter what your life is, no matter what your responsibilities are, you can show up and live your life and be who you were created to be. So good. All right. So you are the author of Rise of the Truth Teller, Own Your Story, Tell It Like It Is, and Live with Holy Gumption. We've talked to all about it today, but you guys, you need to get the book. And so the link to Amazon is in the show notes. You can swipe up on your phone now, click it, or you can go to our website, insporising.com, and it's, of course, it's be there. But you can go to Ashley's website, ashabercrombie.org. That doesn't even sound like a real name. It sounds like you're straight out of like a marketing company. What the heck? <laughs> I know that was your that was your husband's name. Did you choose him because of the name? My gosh, that is such a cool name. It is amazing. I chose him for many other reasons, but that was bonus for sure. Seriously. Jeez. I would have chosen him for that. Right. Um, and you're also the co-host with Tiffany Bloom of the Why Though podcast. What is this podcast all about? Come on, sell us on it. Oh, it's so great. You're going to love it because it's hilarious shenanigans and also real stuff of life. We like to laugh a lot, but we like to interrogate the real questions of life. So everything from why do your eyebrows look so good all the way up to existential crisis, we're tackling questions and um, it's called why though, because there's some things in life that make absolutely no sense. And we just wanted to have a great conversation together about the difficult things in life and the real things in life and the funny things of life. And of course, we'll link to all of your social media accounts as well, where you look absolutely perfect because your life (laughs) is perfect. Totally. Every day. It's awesome. (laughs) Ashley, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with us today. And I hope people pick up your book. Me too. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for listening to my conversation with Ashley today. And if you enjoyed this experience, I want to invite you to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot on your phone text it to someone who needs to learn how to own their story and tell it like it is. Tell them to open up their podcast app. It's the Google, Apple podcast app or Spotify or Stitcher. Tell them to search for Inspiration Rising and click subscribe. And as you hear Ashley tell her story of overcoming so many challenges, may you be inspired to overcome the challenges in your life. And may you be empowered to own your story no matter what you've been through, and ultimately, tell it like it is.